So if you were here last week, you heard Pete Portal. He was rounding off the sermon, um, our sermon series, The Beauty of the Gospel. And he was talking about a call to be a prophetic voice, to sort of both seek a move of God, to seek a revival, as well as to seek the transformation of society, the, the renewal of all things. And it was a really great talk. If you didn't hear it, if you missed it, highly recommend you catch up on it. Um, and what I wanted to do today is to build a little bit on what Pete was talking about last week. I want to spend some time looking at how we discern the call of God in our own lives as we seek to press into all that he has called us to, as we, uh, all that he has called KXE to, how do we find our place in it? And I feel like, and I know that this is true of a number of you as well, that we, we really want to do the right thing. We're committed to following God. We've, we've grown up in this culture that tells us we've got to change the world, and we want to do that. We want to change the world for God. But sometimes figuring out what it is that we are called to, kind of trying to work out how to discern that call can feel a bit overwhelming. And I know that it is because it's a frequent topic of conversation. It's a frequent prayer request on, on a Sunday after the service that we would, whilst we know that God is, is talking to us, while we believe that he is calling us into something, the path can seem really treacherous. And hearing his voice and figuring out which way to turn can sometimes seem impossible. So when I was praying about what to talk about today, um, I felt like there might be a word from the Lord for each of us. A reminder about how we hear his voice. A reminder of what it means to discern the call of God. I want to do this through looking at the call of Jeremiah, um, which we read about in the first chapter of Jeremiah. Um, now, I really love the book of Jeremiah. I said this this morning, and the feedback was shocking. I was surprised at how many people really don't like the book of Jeremiah, but I really like it. It's, it tells this story of this really dark time in the history of the Israelite nation. There's this series of, of bad kings, and the people had turned away from God. And over the course of the prophecies in the book of Jeremiah, he tells the story of the conquering of Israel by foreign nations. He talks about the, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the exile of the people into the land of Babylon. It's deeply critical of the people's rejection of their, of their covenant with God. And it paints a pretty grim picture of the judgment that they can expect. But the thing is, and this is the reason I love this book, in the middle of it, it holds within this picture of darkness and tragedy, this ray of hope. Within the prophecies of destruction, within the, the consequences of sin, is this promise of, of the eternal faithfulness of God. The call of Jeremiah is to be a prophet of truth, not sort of a false prophet, prophet just speaking like words of positive thinking and affirmation, but to be a bearer of truth to be critical, to reflect the, the purity and holiness of God, to show just how far the Israelite people have, have gone away from living within the bounds of God's love. But, but Jeremiah's role wasn't just to be like a prophet of doom, speaking judgment and darkness. It was to be, to call the people into something. It was to call them into revival, a reviving of their relationship with God and a renewal of all things, renewal of their society. And the commissioning of Jeremiah, the moment when Jeremiah is called by God, the moment when Jeremiah hears what it is that God is sending him to do, begins with a moment of intimacy. So we read in Jeremiah 1. 
The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And scripture is full of these moments of calling and commissioning. When God speaks to someone about what it is they're being called into, think about Abraham or Moses or Isaiah or in the New Testament, all of the, all of the um, disciples. And they all start with some version of this. God making the initiative, God coming near and saying, I know you, I call you by name, I am choosing you. If you look at the passage again, you'll see it's all God's initiative. So many I words, I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I called you. And so the first thing to know in our seeking the call of God in our lives is to know who it is who is calling us, to know the Jesus that is pursuing us, to know the God who of his own initiative is is pursuing us, is coming near to us. In one of his um, biographies, uh, the theologian John Stott was talking about his conversion to faith, and he makes reference to a 19th century poem called The Hound of Heaven. And he describes his, the nature of his conversion. He writes this, My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the Hound of Heaven... I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. I love that image of of even when we are running away, even when we are going in the other direction, going our own way, that Jesus, the hound of heaven, is pursuing us, is saying, I'm choosing you, I know you. God's love is so freely given. Um, But I feel like so often we consistently think like, we need to, to, to earn it in some way, to figure it out in some way, that, that in order to, to know it, in order to really feel that, to experience that, we have to you know, do all the right things, we have to believe all the right things, we have to not do all the, all the wrong things, all in this effort to like, control our relationship with God. When really we love because he first loved us. We love because he has pursued us. We think we are making the decisions. We think we are in control, that it all rests on us, that we've chosen the path, that we've made the decision to follow Jesus. And then we look backwards and we realise it was always God coming towards us first. It was always Jesus pursuing us. I know you. David writes in the Psalms, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It's this intimate knowing, a deep connection. This word, I I know you, that that word, that is not like I've got passing knowledge of this person. That's that's the same word as Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate, deep connection. It's, It's deep crying out to deep. It's soul to soul. It's heart knowing. And it goes both ways. God knows us. And he draws us into a relationship with him that enables us to know him. So Paul puts it in Galatians, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, this two-way dynamic of knowing and being known, and all sense of calling, all attempts to discern the voice of God, all attempts to follow his path, all come from an encounter with the Spirit when we hear the voice of God saying, I know you. 
I am choosing you. Um, I don't know how many of you will know the, um, the old Simon and Garfunkel song, um, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And I used to live um, as if this song was written for me. I thought that isolation was the source of all happiness, that if I could just be this rock, this island sort of surrounded by water, totally unreachable, then I would be able to make sure I was okay. I spent my 20s trying to prove that this was the anthem of my life and that this was right, and of course actually proving it very wrong, and I spent my 30s unpicking all of that. And what I discovered was a God, a kind God, who pursued me through my desire to be an island, through my sense that being a, a rock and someone who feels no pain and is, is totally untouchable was, was the way forward, through all of that, that God pursued me. But more than that, that God used friends and even professionals to help me work out that that wasn't the way to human flourishing. The myth is if we can isolate ourselves if we cannot let other people really get to know us, not let other people get close to us, keep even think the myth that we can keep part of ourselves hidden from God, then we can protect ourselves. And what God is saying to Jeremiah is, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I know all of you, the light and the shadow, the bits we are proud of and the bits that we aren't. And the two-way relationship that we are being invited into with God to know and be known by him is this place of healing and grace. It's a place of love and transformation when through all of our stubbornness, through all of our pride, through all of our determination to go our own way. Every time I say go our own way, I hear that, that song in my head. I don't know if you do. Yeah, right. It's really bugging me. All our determination to go our own way. Um, through all of that, what happens is God pursues us. And in that place, we are healed, we are transformed. And what happened to Jeremiah is in that place of knowing that God knows him, of being invited to know God the same way, there is this moment of commissioning. Jeremiah's call starts from the perspective of being known by the God who created him, who formed him, who chose him, who set him apart, and who has commissioned him to go. You've probably heard of um, Jackie Pullinger, who is this, who is this amazing woman who's lived an incredibly fruitful life um, in Hong Kong. She's seen um, amazing stories of drug addicts being set free just through prayer, miraculous provision. Her life is, is a series of testimonies of God's amazing favour and faithfulness. But, and she sensed a call to the gospel, to share the gospel, to, to be a missionary at the age of five. And through her teenage years and her time at university, this sort of ebbed and flowed. There were times in her life when her faith was really on fire and she was following Jesus and times when she kind of got caught up in things of the world. But there was always this nagging question of a call to the life of a missionary that, she never, that never left her. In her early 20s, as a young single woman, and this was in the early 60s, she started to pursue this call. And she was rejected from every mission agency that she applied to. She had this encounter with the Holy Spirit and that she knew she had to follow God's calling. And I'm going to read a little extract from uh, her book, this Chasing the Dragon. This is a conversation that she had with um, one of her, her mentors. She said to him, Then I told him that God and I had reached a stalemate. 
God had told me clearly to go. I knew why I was to go, but he would not tell me where. So how could I go? If you had a job, a ticket, accommodation, a sick fund and a pension, you wouldn't need to trust him, Richard said. Anyone can go that way, whether they are Christians or not. You can't lose if you put yourself completely in God's hands, you know. Maybe you'll go all the way around the world just to talk to one sailor about Christ. Or maybe you'll go as far as Singapore to play the piano for a week of youth meetings and then come back. Richard's advice was extraordinary, but completely wise. Never at any time did he lead me to the impression that I was to get on a ship, grow a bun and get off as a missionary ready to do a work. He never suggested that I had to achieve anything at all. I had simply to follow wherever God led. I too felt I could not lose on this adventure. And so she found the cheapest ship going on the longest journey and bought a one-way ticket. She got on a boat not knowing where she was going to get off and eventually got off in Hong Kong. All she knew, she didn't know when she was going to get off. She didn't know if she was ever going to accomplish anything. All she knew was that God was speaking to her that she was being invited into an adventure with him and that she wanted to follow him. And of course, we're not all called to move to Hong Kong and live that, that kind of life, but we are all invited into an, into an adventure. We are all invited to follow the call of Jesus, to pursue him. Jeremiah's call, God says, says this to Jeremiah, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. There are three elements of this, this calling um, that we see that, that speaks to what Jeremiah ends up doing. He's called to speak truth in a chaotic world to carry light into darkness and to be part of the renewal of all things. The world that Jeremiah was speaking into was a world of chaos. It was cataclysmic change for the life of the Israelites and Jeremiah was called to speak truth into that chaos, to shatter old worlds, to bring, to call into being new worlds. And it doesn't take much to connect the world of Jeremiah with the world that we live in today. The news this week has been pretty tough. There was a tragic accident in Wimbledon. There's another well-known TV figure behaving appallingly. A war in Ukraine that has destroyed countless lives. Effects of climate change, wildfires raging, millions starving. And that's without things that might be deeply affecting you personally. Maybe a, a, a health diagnosis, job insecurity, the cost of living crisis. The adventure that we are called into... The invitation to follow Jesus is exactly the same as it was for Jeremiah. To speak truth into a world of chaos. To carry light into darkness, hope into suffering, love into places of evil. To play our part in the renewal of all things. To live with eyes that see that God is making all things new. To live with eyes that see that redemption arc that's happening. In the midst of some of the worst moments of chaos, when war was raging, Jeremiah, who was himself a fairly unpopular figure in his society, he was ridiculed and eventually arrested and thrown into prison. He wrote some of the letters that make up part of the book from prison. And the other thing he did while he was in prison is he bought a field. 
This was a ludicrously impractical act. The Babylonian army were literally at that very moment camped out on the field that Jeremiah bought. They were going to crush the city defences any day, about to storm Jerusalem. Jeremiah looked foolish. He felt foolish, but he bought this field. He was doing it as a prophetic act. It was in response to a direct call from God. And through this act, Jeremiah declares the future salvation and redemption of the land. He's holding out hope to the people that he is leading. Eugene Peterson um, put it this way, buying that field in Anathoth was a deliberate act of hope. All acts of hope expose themselves to ridicule because they seem impractical, failing to conform to visible reality. But in fact, they are the reality that is being constructed but is not yet visible. Hope commits us to actions that connect with God's promises. Here again, all acts of hope expose themselves to ridicule because they seem impractical, failing to conform to visible reality. What they are, they are the reality that is being constructed but is not yet visible. Hope commits us to actions that connect with God's promise. So every time we hold out hope, in a world of chaos and conflict, in social breakdown and pain and suffering, every time we do, we do an act of hope, every foolish act is, is making visible that which is not yet visible. It's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's, it's revealing something of the redemptive arc that we're in. This is our calling. Whether we're in a classroom, we're working in a shop, on the tube, on the street, whatever little patch of land we find ourselves on, wherever God has placed you, the foundation of our calling is to hold out hope in darkness, to be part of the renewal of all things. A couple of years ago, I, I'd met this, this guy, this young man, who was, he just had had a, a run of really bad things happen, just an unfortunate series of events that had left him in a really bad way. He um, had had some personal grief, he'd lost his job, he was in debt, and he was on the verge of being made homeless. He couldn't pay his rent, and he didn't really have any qualifications, so he was struggling to get a job. And when I met him, he was, he was so weighed down by, by the, what he was trapped in, by the, the weight of the, of the trap, the, the things that had surrounded him. He was so weighed down by it. He got scooped up by an organization that did some skills training um, with him and ultimately helped him get a new job and, and save his home. And the difference in this man from like a few months later, the transformation of him was, was remarkable. But what really struck me was this moment before things had started to change, before he'd got the, the qualifications, before he'd got the new job, before he had um, his, his home security. There was this moment when nothing physical had changed no circumstances were any different, but this little bit of hope had kindled in him. This organization coming around him, these people getting to know him, sharing something of the love of God with him, changed something in him. And that's what we're being invited into before, before, in the midst of the circumstances of chaos, in the midst of the mess of the world, to still have that kindle of hope. It's a hope that is independent from past or present experiences. It's not even really grounded in the circumstances around us, but neither is it grounded in wishful thinking. It's grounded in the reality of Jesus, in the faithfulness of the character of God. A hope that is in spite of our own faith, faithlessness, 
For Jeremiah, it was a hope that was in spite of the faithlessness of Israel, in spite of sins already committed, mess already in, disconnected from present reality because it supersedes the consequences. It's more than the present circumstance. It fights against despair and destruction. It shouts loudly about the faithfulness of Jesus. In direct contrast to the rubble and ruins and destruction that Jeremiah was living in, as the army literally marched on Jerusalem, Jeremiah bought a field, convinced that he would plant again. A conviction born from the word of God. Always the hope, the joy, the peace, it rests not on anything that we do, but on the faithfulness of God. I said um, that sometimes it feels, um, it can feel all a little overwhelming trying to figure, figure the path out. And I think the thing is, is that it is sometimes a little overwhelming. We live in a world that is fallen. That is, we are assailed by, by the world, the flesh and the devil. The call to live a life in awareness of God, to, to love the world around us, it does, it does exceed our capacity, we aren't actually smart enough. We don't have enough focus. We can't actually get ourselves on the right path. We can be apathetic, stubborn, disobedient. Maybe there are moments, spurts of love and, and moments of risks of faith, moments of courageous acts of love, but then we slip back. Sometimes maybe we even just kid ourselves. You know, I'm a nice person living a pretty good life. But there's a moment of honesty when we notice our own inadequacy and know that we are not up to the task. But the great news is, is that it doesn't rely on us to make it happen. It isn't on us to stick to the path. It isn't on us to, to love others. It isn't on us to do it. It is all a gift. It is all the Holy Spirit in us. God says to Jeremiah, I know you, like really intimately know you. I've chosen you and I've called you. And I am sending you. Jeremiah um, actually responds with an, a not unfamiliar response uh, from stories in the scripture with a, <laughs> no. I'm too young. I can't do it. Not happening. Absolutely not. Filled with a sense of inadequacy. Um, not long after I was ordained, I was doing my first funeral visit I was given um, the name of the next of kin and an address to turn up to. I knew nothing about the person who had died or the circumstances surrounding the death. And I'd never done a funeral visit before. I had no idea what to expect. I have never felt so woefully inadequate in all of my life. Getting ready to go, I was putting on my clergy shirt and my dog collar and I was praying as, as I was getting ready. And I just felt God really quietly whisper, I've chosen you and I've equipped you. And every time I felt inadequate, every time I felt unprepared and not really sure what I was supposed to do, I looked down at my collar and remembered it was God who had called me. And the visit was fine, maybe even good. Nothing remarkable happened. I didn't change the world. But I sat with some people in their grief, helped them plan a funeral, got to pray for them, but also learned this lesson. God had called me and he had equipped me. After Jeremiah's little insecurity wobble, God says to him, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. 
Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. God calls us and then he goes with us. When we focus on ourselves and not on God, we become so much more aware of our own inadequacies. We see only the ways in which we don't measure up. And we forget that it is God, the creator of the whole universe, who has called us and who is with us. And we can become blinded by fear, the fear of failing, the fear of what others might think of us, the fear of being exposed as less than, the fear of being her or rejected, because our eyes are looking at ourselves and not looking at Jesus. When we focus on ourselves, we look inwards and we don't get to see what it is Jesus might be calling us out to. And what I wonder today is if there might be an invitation for all of us in big ways and in small ways to refocus our attention, to take our eyes off self, to look out instead of in and to hear the voice of Jesus calling us forward saying, do not fear, I have called you, I am with you. You know, there are, if you've been um, at KXE before, you'll know there are several moments throughout the service when um, on a Sunday we'll like, you know, pause and there'll be like a, you know, maybe stand, close your eyes. And if you feel like it, hold out your hands. And we do this, this action of holding out our hands as a kind of posture of saying, um, it's, it's about you, I come empty handed, more of you, Holy Spirit. So it's about a posture that shows that we're open to encounter God. But I wonder if we go through so much of our life with our hands tightly closed, holding on to our resources, protecting ourselves with this hard shell that keeps the world at bay. And my sense today is, is it possible that there's an invitation to open our fists, to relax our grip, to make ourselves available for how Jesus might be calling us, to put down some of the things that we are holding on to, to put down our desire to be our own saviour and to hear the voice of Jesus saying, I know you, I am calling you. And in a moment, we're going to do just that. We're going to make some space to pray. But before that, I just want to land with this thought. I think there are a couple of invitations for us. And I think the first thing is we're being invited to make space for two things. One is repentance and the other is healing that it might be possible that we actually need to repent. Repent of ways in which we've looked at ourselves. Repent of ways in which our focus has been on our own safety, our own security, our own protection, and not on what God might be saying to us. And we might actually need to repent of that. And the other thing is that in that space, there might actually be an invitation to healing. That that, I am an island, I am a rock, that, that maybe God is reaching out for you to relax your fist, to hold out your hands, to make space for his healing and his mercy and his grace. And always to remember that it is the Holy Spirit that does it in us anyway. And I think there's, a, there's an invitation today to hear those two things, to hear the word of the Lord saying, I know you and I have chosen you, 
and also to hear that commissioning, to be a person of hope, to carry that love and light into the darkness. <laughs>